Yesterday, I'm honored to be joined by ESPN anchor, Michael Eves. Michael, what's going on? Not too much, man. How you living? I'm good, man. I'm staying busy now. Like I keep saying, busy is good, especially after the times we came out of. So. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Like I said, welcome to the NBA panel. Um, congratulations on your great career. Now, you've done a, you've, you've accomplished a lot over your time you started your career. I'm sorry, what was that? I said congratulations on your career. You've accomplished a lot. And you're still oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, man, it's been um, it, it's been a ride, and I, I've been very fortunate that this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do from a career standpoint. Right. And uh, I've been fortunate along the way to get some opportunities, but you know, you put in the work, and those opportunities come, and you can capitalize on them. So I, I've been very blessed to be in the position I am that uh, I've fulfilled pretty much every one of my career goals at this point. Yes, you joined ESPN in 2015. Um, tell us about your time there and your experience as an anchor, because you joined one of a mega media outlet. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, like you know, when I was younger, starting off, like ESPN clearly was the goal right. um, from a career standpoint, and and for so many people, it still is, and I understand that. Right. But you know, by the time I graduated University of Kentucky and got my first job there in Lexington and moved to Memphis and eventually moved to LA, I was up there for like ten years. Like ESPN at that point in my life, you know, I was I was married and things of that nature. It didn't matter the way it did when I was 25 or 26, right? So having said that, there was a time where I was like, you know what, I'm good. I'm good where I am. I don't have to do the ESPN thing, blah, blah, blah. Right. But life just has a funny way of, of working itself out in ways sometimes you don't anticipate or don't envision. And like you said, six years ago, I ended up at ESPN anyway, and it's been great, man. Like, I've had a tremendous experience here. I've got to do, like, some of the coolest stuff of my career. I've been to the Olympics. I've been to Super Bowls. I've been to the Masters. You know, I've got to cover some of the coolest stuff um, that there are in terms of major events. And to be able to do it multiple times, you, you can't ask for anything better than that um, yeah. other than to go again, you know, and just kind of keep it pushing right. in that regard. But. Yeah, man, ESPN is, uh, has been a really good spot for me these last six years. Yeah, he's covered some major events. You covered um, the Mike Tyson, Lennox fight, um, Chloe's 81-point game. Um, how was it for you personally just being sidelined to those games, just being there to cover them? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of surreal when you, when, you, when you think back on it because when you're a kid and you're watching sports the way I did, constantly right. watching or, or playing sports myself, is you always envisioned – being at the biggest moments that you remember from a sports standpoint, either as an athlete, as a fan being there, you know, in the seats watching it, or maybe being a broadcaster. And that's the way it's worked out for me, being a broadcaster to be at all those um, tremendous sports moments. And and the best part about it, dude, I was paid to be at every single one of them. Right. You know, like I was paid (laughs) to be there. And someone, but beyond that though, but someone entrusted me to go to those events and, tell the stories of what was happening. And so you put all that together, man, it is surreal that, you know, you you got to experience some of those things firsthand in person and you were paid to do it. Yes, when you're covering these events, you're like the, you're the voice, you're, you're, you're painting a picture for, for, for everyone that's listening and watching. Uh, how did you get your skills to the point where you were comfortable to do that? Because there's millions of people listening and watching you cover these great events. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this, and not to sound too arrogant, I've always had like a certain level of of confidence that if I set my mind to some particular goal, that I should be able to achieve it, right? And whether that was, you know, playing sports as a kid growing up or in the classroom 
Um, I mean, I went to college on an academic scholarship, not a not an athletic scholarship, right? So right. if if I could do that, then I could do anything. So when I chose this career and I looked at the people in the positions that that I wanted to attain, I was like, all right, so I can do it if they can. And then along the way, once you have that mindset and you have that desire to not not just to reach that goal, but to be really really good at at doing it and maybe being the best. Right one of the best in the world at doing what you do, then yeah. you will do all the necessary things along that path, and you will make sacrifices from a personal standpoint in order to hone your craft um, with practice and reps, just like professional athletes do. Like, there's always sacrifice if you want to be the greatest at anything. Um, right. And I did that. Like, I went through the work. I, I, I mean, I grew up in the South, so I had a little bit of an accent. I worked to get rid of my accent. I happened to be a really good writer, so that helped be able to tell stories. But, you know, Telling stories on television versus writing, you know, a feature story, those are two different skill sets, similar but right. different. And you had to work at both of them to be good at both. And I, I just put in the work, man. I, I was determined to do it, and I knew I had to work on those skills if I wanted to reach that goal. Definitely. Now, you just alluded to repetition is key. And can you talk about uh, how important preparation is? Cause, because you've got to be prepared when the opportunity comes. I mean, they offered it to you, but you were ready for it. And then you said you prepared after you heard that you got this. Yeah. Um, I saw an interesting thing about uh, Usain Bolt earlier today that, you know, he won like you know, six or seven gold medals, whatever it is. And if you, if you actually add up the time that he was racing in the Olympics, it's, right. it's, like, a, it's like a few minutes, right? It's not very long. But how many minutes did he put in training for those moments, right? right? That's the real test in terms of how badly you want to achieve something. So, like, yes. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter that we've ever seen in the NBA. And yes. the numbers he's putting up are, are ridiculous, the number of threes he hits in a game. But how many did he hit in practice? How many right. did he shoot in practice? How many does he still shoot to this day before every game, right? That's right. the work. The work is, is what's done when no one's watching. You prepare for the moment by doing the work. And then when you are in the moment, it's easy. Let me yes. phrase that. It's easier than you think it would be because the work has already been done. Then you just go out there and you just, you just react. You, just, you fall back on your fundamentals like anything else, and the moment never feels too big for you because you know you can right. do it regardless of what's happening around you, how many people are there. You've done it before, so you can do it again in this environment, which may be different. And that was always my, my mindset that I got you know, as a kid growing up playing sports. My father instilled that in me. He was all about – practice and work and getting ready and always being prepared, never being late, right. things of that nature. And you should be able to apply that to so many facets of your life, including being a sports broadcaster. Exactly. No one really, no one knows the work behind the scenes. They only right. see the results. It's, it's right. a lot of work behind the scenes. <laughs> yes. Those who are great put in the work. I don't care who they are. If yes. you are great at something, you put in the work. Like Prince, for example, is my favorite artist of all time. And that dude was writing and playing instruments constantly, right. constantly. So then when you saw him perform, you're like, wow, this is the greatest guitar player I've ever seen in my life. Well, how many, how many hours did he put in on that guitar or just that riff before right. he put it into a song and released it or brought it out to a concert and a performance? Like all people who are great at anything, they put in the work when no one's watching. Definitely. And congrats on your contract extension. Um, ESPN gave you opportunity in improving yourself. I always I always tell the story. I remember the first media out the first media covers my outlet got 
was the Sixers G League team, the 87s at the time. And from there, mm-hmm. I went to Team USA basketball. I covered um, I was covered the NBA Finals for the first time, um, Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, how important is it to remember who gave you a chance along the way? Because everyone has help along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's important um, to remember those people and, you know, to to give them the respect they deserve. But I think it's more important to pay it forward. Um, right. I, I think anyone who gave you an opportunity sets an example for you for what you need to do going forward, right? Because so many of us, especially those of us that are black and brown and women yeah. in this particular industry, um, those opportunities have not come as often as for other people. And so right. when you get them, I believe you have a responsibility to give even more opportunities to other people. If someone gave you one shot, then you owe two shots to two other people, right? Like that's the way I look at it. That's how you pay it for. That's how you multiply it. And that to me is, is about respecting those opportunities that you were given. And the best way to show praise for those opportunities and those people is to give opportunities to other people. Right. um, I mentioned you covered major events. Um, You love, you covered the masters. You talk about your um, love for golf and Tiger Woods and the impact he left on the, the impact he has on the game, not left on the game. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I played golf since I was a kid because my dad played, okay. and my dad and Tiger's dad uh, very similar backgrounds, but okay. completely different eras. Um, my dad grew up in the South, but he he served in the Army. Tiger's dad grew up uh, out in California. He served in the Army. So the idea of a young son wanted to be with his dad and his dad right. was playing golf so in order for you to be out there with your dad you had to get really good at golf right. Tiger and I shared that experience and okay. we also share the experience of you know if, if if your parent has been in the military there's certain aspects that they bring with them the rest of their life as it relates to regiment and being early and things of that nature and Tiger's always on time right. I'm, I'm, I'm never late so like we kind of share <clears throat> those similarities in our upbringing based on the fact that our father's we're in the military, and they played golf um, as we were growing up, right? And right. so from that point for me, um, you know, I loved golf from the very beginning, even even if I wasn't playing with my dad because I loved the competition of it, and I right. loved the, the solitude of it because all the other sports I played were all team sports. But in golf, it's just you, your clubs, and the ball. And, like, right. what are you doing against this course? And then you compare that performance against the field. Like, so I've always enjoyed that aspect of golf. And right. to be able to watch Tiger develop, you know, even as he was winning the U.S. Junior Amateurs and then the three straight U.S. Right. Amateurs as well, like he was a household name. And then to see him win the Masters in 97 at, at a venue that had excluded black people for so long, like that was just a proud moment being, you know, A, a black person in America, B, a black kid who played golf, right? So, right. so that moment for me, when people always stand at what, what's his greatest moment, his greatest moment is winning the Masters in 97. His greatest performance was the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach when he won by 15 shots. But his greatest moment was okay. winning that first Masters in 97. And then for me, to be able to come here to ESPN and be fortunate enough to work uh, yes. at the Masters the last five years, that was that was one of the bucket list items on my career, was to be able to go to the Masters, to work the Masters, right. and now to be a part of the broadcast on ESPN, I mean, that's one of the more proud moments of my career because the thing about the Masters telecast is, you know, as long as CBS has had it and now ESPN, we share it with them uh, on Thursday and Friday, there's, there's only really been a handful of people who have ever appeared on the telecast. Once you get on the Masters telecast, you you want to keep that job forever, right? Right. And right. 
there's only a handful of people. So for my name to appear on the, on the list of commentators on Thursday and Friday in the first two rounds, man, that, that that's a huge deal for me. And I hope that it that some other young people out there that see my name and know who I am and and be inspired that they can achieve something like that as well to be uh, one of the few to do maybe one of the greatest sporting events uh, in the world. Right. Part of the drive that got me to do my to start my own show, Andy Tanner, was I was I was been a fan of the NBA and it adds mm-hmm. to the, it adds to, to the experience of covering events because covering some events and games, I found myself rooting for certain teams. Like I'm a fan deep down, as you are. How the hell does that add to your hosting experience also? Because for me, it's fun. It's fun. I love doing this. (laughs) Yeah. You you know, for me, I I, I don't root for teams. I root for stories. Okay. Um, Now, when I was growing up, like, clearly, like, I had favorite athletes and favorite teams. But, like, once I started covering them professionally, that went away. The the only thing that I still maintain from an emotional fan standpoint is my alma mater. So if the University of Kentucky is playing in anything, gotcha. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, glued in, rooting for them hard, and you know, we'll definitely have some type of emotional reaction to a win or a loss, especially right. basketball, clearly, because that's that's what we do the best there. Um, right. But all my professional allegiances, they went away, and I, I don't know if it wasn't a conscious decision. I, it just happened. It just sort of fell away because I, right. I didn't want to have emotional investments in the outcome of a game that I'm that I'm covering. I think that's just what developed. Like, I don't care who wins. I just want to be able to pay pay attention to the story, so then I can tell it properly. If I'm if I'm caught up in the emotion of who won and lost, I, I don't know how well I could do my job. Could I do right. it? Sure. Would I do it at at the absolute best? Probably not, because I don't know how how my head would be affected by my feelings. Right? right, and I just don't have that. I don't. I mean, there's certain guys or certain women who compete in sports, and you like it'd be great if that person was able to win a championship because what it would mean for them personally, what it would mean for their story. Like right. those things, I do root for. Um, but there's so many of them. Like, you know, like for example, let's take the last NBA Finals for Giannis to win or Chris Paul to win. Both of those are great stories. Right. right? Like both right. of those are tremendous stories that anyone could tell. And which one are you rooting for? I wasn't rooting for any one of them, I, right. but I knew whoever won, there was going to be a great story from that finals for one of those two players. And that, for me, is all I need. I, I just want the entertainment of you know, right. a quality performance and, and cool stories, but I, I don't necessarily root for winners and losers. Right. I totally understand what you mean about the finals, because like you said, either story would have been a great story, but somebody had to lose. <laughs> now CP3 has to go back to the drawing board again. He just opted out. It's right, right about that game for a bigger deal. But the Phoenix Suns, I think that's a good idea that he stayed there because um, Russell Westbrook just went to Lakers, so they closed that door. I don't think he would have went there anyway, but I think his best chance to win is back with Phoenix because they have, they have a chemistry now and they have some um, experience to get back to the finals. Yeah, think about Chris. I mean, he's been in the league so long, and you know, he, he Chris is one of those dudes who hates to lose. I, yeah. I think there's two people. I think there's two people in life: people who hate to lose and people who love to win. And there is a difference. I think the greatest of all time are people who hate to lose. And then yeah. you have people who love to win who, yeah, they'll revel in in the victory, but the defeat doesn't bother them that much to get better so they never feel that again. All right, so Chris is a right. dude who hates to lose, right? Right. But at the same time, you know, he's, he's, he's older and he's more mature and he's evolved, and not that he doesn't want to win an NBA championship, but he does not feel as if his career will be dictated by an NBA championship, right? Right. So – and based on what he was able to do this past year with this squad, it would be way more fulfilling for him 
to try to win a championship with the Suns, get them back to the NBA Finals, even if they lose, then potentially yeah. going to the Lakers or going to a squad like, let's say you went to the uh, Bucks, all right, for example, that right. would be maybe an easy NBA championship. Chris doesn't want anything given to him. He, he's right. not that guy. He's not wired that way. So it would be no surprise that he stays there in Phoenix. Um, and I mean, look, he's going to make $44 million this season. You opt out, you sign you know, a two- or three-year new right. deal. It's going to be more than $44 million. It just makes you know, financial sense. Same thing with Kawhi right. Leonard. He's going to make 36 I believe, for the Clippers. You know he's going to resign, and it'll be more than $36 million he opted out for. It. So, again, he's probably going to end up back with the Clippers as well. But these yeah. guys are making business decisions as much as anything right now, as they should. Yeah, that's something I did learn also. When someone opts out, don't always assume you don't, don't always assume they're leaving that team. And like you said, it's, it's a business decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just I mean, again, like the one of the cooler things about athletes and their evolution since I've been doing this is they're way more business business oriented in right. terms of their in terms of their personal careers, right? They used to always like, all right, let me get on the team. Let, some, let this owner pay me money. I'm going to do this. But no, they're taking way more control of it now. And you're seeing it play out in multiple sports. NBA, probably more sport um, in that sport more than others. But right. I still love seeing these guys take control of that. And because without the players, there is no product. But, you know, the owners, you know, they got to make their money too. But the players can definitely have more of a, a sense of power in how these deals are done. Right. Um. You have multiple Emmys. Um. How is that having your? Uh, how How do you feel having your work acknowledged? You know. Um. I, I don't want to sound like a dismissive of them. I, I don't care that much about um, Emmys and awards, quite honestly, because I didn't get into this business to win them. Gotcha. So they, they they don't matter to me that way. Um. And plus, they're all subjective, right? Like, there's so many people who do what I do that are yeah. really good at what they do. And now you're trying to say, well, who was better on right. this particular thing? Well, that person was better that day. Next day, that person could be better. And then maybe third day, it's someone completely different that we weren't even having the conversation. So right. I, I I understand, you know, why why we have these awards a little bit, right. but I, I don't get caught up in them. I will say this, though. Every time I am nominated, I do go to represent because I – what I really want to represent are the people that you don't see because I'm, I'm what they call a front-facing talent in our industry, and I hate the word right. talent because they only use it for people who are on air typically because so much talent um, goes into all these productions and these feature stories for people that you don't see. And so for me, winning an Emmy represents all the people who helped put together whatever that performance or whatever that product was. And for me, it's way more about those people than it is about you know, me personally. Okay. Um, once again, congratulations on your 25 years in journalism and sports broadcasting. Broadcasting, um, you have a long, you have longevity in your career. Congratulations on all your success, and thank you for joining me. You have a busy day ahead still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do, man. The sports center is not going to anchor itself, so right. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. I definitely drop respect out in the season. Thanks for joining me. No problem, man. Best of luck to you. You too. Yes, that's ESPN Sports Center anchor Michael Eads. Catch you next time.